Hello again, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. For those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There, there's a flip book, which you can read for free, which is very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me that clarifies the whole reality and message that is so essential and important for this particular time. And you will find a lot of the print is highlighted in red. Those are links to YouTube videos, very profound and amazing videos that are accounts of things that are taking place that are amazing, of evidence from archaeology and from many fields of science that highly confirm what I am sharing about here, which is the ultimate source of reality. The very source of reality is an ultimate perfection of love that is the very source of love, of life, of all that exists, and the very purpose for which you exist in all things consist and exist, the one true eternal God. These messages are for those that have come to know the one true eternal God, for whom to know is life eternal, as mentioned in John 17. I share these messages as it commands in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's referring to people gathering together in assembly around Jesus Christ. When they come together, they are to seek to allow God by his Spirit to speak through them. And so I am not here to give some intellectual message. I am here to speak out of the Spirit of God. And this is explained more in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. When we worship God, in spirit and in truth, out of great humility and love for God, great reverence for God, we are filled with His Spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that are beyond ourselves, that are coming from God. In other words, it is out of worship that we speak prophetically. If any man worship, they should worship in spirit and in truth. And we worship, and out of that worship can flow prophetic utterance that testifies of the reality of what we are sharing to those that are the hearers. Not something merely to come in one ear and out the other through some intellectual reciprocation. No, a reciprocation of your very being, of the very core of your being and of your heart. Christ said, the words that I speak are spirit and in life, or are spirit and life. And so I will seek to speak this message out of a heart set and a mindset of worship. And one of the things I do to facilitate that is to cast lots to get any possibility of a chapter from a Bible I do this with two independent random applications 
to get two chapters that would bear witness with each other as to what the theme is that God is wanting to speak by his Spirit at this particular time to the body of Christ. As it says in Revelations, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying unto the churches. These are things that are greatly lacking in the typical congregation in this time. And how is it possible that so many that call themselves Christians have their heads buried in the sand in a time when there is such serious crisis around us? We need to wake up out of our sleep as never before and become who called God has called us to be as individuals and also in assembly, whether small or great. Whenever two or more gather together in his name, God is there in a far more dynamic and real way in the midst of them, in Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit of God. And so I will be sharing the two chapters I received today by the casting of Lot, as well as a worship song that I seek through prayer to be led to, uh, sometimes casting lots to find that song. And so first of all, we'll go with the song that um, is for to be with this message before we get into the message itself. And I will be also touching on the last two or three days when I didn't get the opportunity to speak as to what God said, again, by the casting of Lot with two chapters. I really wanted to speak the last two days, and things were coming up and hindering me. But I always get at least three messages in a week, and since today is Wednesday, I determine the next three days to be preaching the Word of God come hell or high water. So here's the worship song that we're going to worship with today, first of all out of the choice of 1,257 songs that I cast lots on sometimes or just choose. And they're always very good songs that have the words on them so that you can play them on YouTube and see the words and use them on an overhead projector if you're connected to the internet and you can watch them if you don't have people to lead the worship. Or you have people to lead the worship, but they don't know what it is to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's better not to use them, even if they're the most skilled musicians. Okay, here we go. With um, the message. First of all, this worship song in message.
Christ is calling, Christ is calling, listen to his voice. And the world system designed to get you so busy that you can't hear his voice, where you're all in a tether over all the things that you have to do each day in your life, and you're all caught up with all the things that are so temporal to only satisfy 
immediate needs. But Christ says, come up higher, come up higher to me. Look and live. Do you see the treasure buried in the field? Will you drop what you're holding on to and dig for me until you find me? For if you search for me and seek me with all your heart, I will be found of you, says the Lord. And indeed, his intention for you is that you would enter into the fullness of your destiny for eternity because this life is insignificant compared to eternity, compared to the ultra-real spiritual realm, permanent realm, that you will enter someday. That's when your real life begins. And so all the suffering in this world that we experience as believers, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them from them all, are working together for good as we are those that choose to buy of him the gold tried in the fire by saying to the Lord, I choose rather to let you be the potter of my life and to put me through trials and testings and suffering in order that I might come into that destiny with you rather than to say, well, Lord, I want you to let me have this easy life or this and this in my life, but I'll still believe in you and, and go to church and so on. No, God's children are those that are willing to say, I love my master, I love my Lord, I will not go free. Because they've really seen who he is. Because they've seen the treasure in the field. But what blinds us is the loves of this world that the enemy would dangle before us, those baits that would hypnotize us and manipulate us into our own ways and into the ways of the enemy so that we lose out and possibly lose out greatly for eternity. And some even to the point where they lose their salvation. I want to share with you what I receive now by the casting of Lot before the Lord. First of all, today, I received 2 Corinthians 4 and Psalms 62. And both of these chapters have a common theme, as always, God does have a common theme in the chapters. But before I get into the theme of what is for today, I want to touch on the last two days at least. Because when I cast Lot and I'm serious before God, these two chapters always bear witness with each other with a common message and theme. So today's Wednesday, yesterday on January the 10th of 2022, I received Exodus 28 and 2 Chronicles 26, and both of those chapters are about entering into the Holy of Holies, or what's known as the most holy presence of God, and especially as spiritual leaders and representation of the people of God. In Exodus 28, the sons of Aaron are mentioned, which died by fire before the Lord, because they entered into the presence with presumption in their own ways rather than in great reverence and humility 
that dispels of our own presumptuous ways because presumption is always part of pride. And pride is at enmity with God because God seeks those that are true, pure lovers of him, that worship him wholeheartedly and only him with a single eye. Now in 2 Corinthians 28, you have Uzzah the king who assumed because he walked close to God and was prospered by God with a powerful military might, he built great engines of war upon the walls and so on and so forth towards the end of his long reign, he assumes he's in such a wonderful spiritual relationship with God that he can go into the most holy place and 80 priests stop him and say, it is not your place to come into the most holy place. And they stop him and he's outraged with them. And as he is outraged with them, leprosy begins to spring up on his forehead and they push him out and he himself flees out of the presence of God. And the rest of his life, he was a leper and died of great disease in his feet. And so the theme there was about us knowing such a genuine fear of God, that we know the secret of abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. The place of intimacy is out of the fear of God, which births great transparency and humility that keeps us in that place where we are not those that in our own righteousness end up being deceived in our latter end. And so the theme verse is there, for example, it says in Exodus 28, 42 to 43, and thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from his loins, even unto the thighs they shall reach and they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come unto the tabernacle of the congregation or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place that they bear not the iniquity and die. It shall be a statue forever unto him and his seed after him or, or unto a long period of time unto the ages <clears throat> of the ages. Okay, that there is the theme that was coming forth yesterday. And the day before that, I received by the casting of Lot before God, Second Chronicles 16 and Jonah 2. And both Jonah, it's about Jonah, all of us know about Jonah, and the other is about King Azza, who disobeyed the Lord, but be, even though he was a very righteous, he disobeyed the Lord. So both Jonah and Azza disobeyed the Lord as righteous people because they failed to trust the Lord in what God had called them to do for him. Azza was presumptuous in his walk and went ahead, even though he was a righteous king, without consulting the Lord and trusted in a heathen king by giving that king, the king of Assyria, a bunch of silver and wealth to deliver them from the northern kingdom that was blocking them from coming to worship the Lord, which is the only place they were to be worshiping 
as a, as a nation. And so they were, the northern kingdom was blocking them. And so he calls, and a prophet comes and reproves Ahaz and said, because you didn't trust me. Instead, you went and trusted in your wealth and the military might of a heathen king instead of me. You could have gone in your own army against them and defeated them if you would have trusted in me. But you didn't. And he was outraged at this prophet and put him in jail because he reproved him. And so Hazah also was smitten with great judgment in his latter end because he became presumptuous and proud even though he was living a consistently righteous and pleasing life before God, but in his latter end. That is what happened. Jonah was willful in his disobedience, whereas Hazah was presumptuous. Jonah was willful in his disobedience because he did not want to show mercy to those that he believed deserved God's judgment and because he was tempered, tempted towards lying vanities and a life of ease to pursue instead. Both became angry, as and Jonah, at God when God reproved them, as through the prophet and Jonah through God pointing out that he did not show mercy to Nineveh, that he didn't, that he, he didn't want to show mercy to Nineveh, even though God showed mercy to him. And oh, there I could meditate for a lot more on these two passages and preach a long message on it because there's a lot to unpack when you put those two things together the way God just did it in those two chapters there. No time. These are just short messages. And God also led me that day to Hebrews 4, which is about not hardening your heart and falling into unbelief. And this is exactly what happened to them. They hardened their heart. They fell into unbelief and trusted in their own righteousness. They began to put merit in the fact of looking at their life and how righteous they were and pleasing to God. That is unbelief. That is a failure to walk in the genuine fear of God. Now I want to come to today and to what I received today from the Word of God, which is 2 Corinthians 4 and Psalms 62. And in 2 Corinthians 4, the theme verse there by the casting of Lot is, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the key word in that verse is the glory of God. And in Psalm 62, verse 7, the, the theme verse is, In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Now I want to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and read it here in my Bible here. I'm just going to turn to it here <clears throat> and start to read some of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. 
but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel, that's the good news, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on to them. We recently had messages that I spoke on where I emphasized that the blindness and the lack of understanding and the ignorance that causes things like presumption and disobedience to God happens because our heart is hardened. And out of the hardening of the heart, which is a choice to go our own ways, and begin to focus on our own life above God's. It's like the electrons of an atom. When they spin around the nucleus of an atom, they form a hard shell. And the spin, the greater it is, and the more items there are spinning around that nucleus, the harder that shell. And the only thing that can break it is an electric current which involves the positive and the negative and I've explained this in many teachings over and over that this represents the fear of God because the negative represents the integrity of God's love which will not tolerate what is contrary to his love this is the holiness of God God always chooses the highest lasting good and any lesser choice has a measure of corruption in it God is as a consuming fire of judgment against all that is contrary to his love. He is the opposite of corruption. He is the destroyer of corruption. This is the defensive aspect of the love of God. And it results in the consequences of suffering. It is the very source of reality. And everything that bounces off that reality has consequences, either that are positive or that are negative. If you go contrary to the reality, which is this integrity of love, you reap the consequences of corruption and of death. And so we see around us all the corruption and death. And the enemy tries to get us in our own hearts, begins to focus on all the suffering in our own lives and in others so that we get a distorted view of God like Cain did, where you begin to see him as all-powerful and as a, some kind of a tyrant that demands appeasement. This is an idolatrous, monotheistic perception of God because of not perceiving that the love of God and his integrity is good because it ensures that there won't be corruption in our own lives that will ensure a destiny where there is no corruption in heaven forever. And the fear of God is a choice to reciprocate first God in the perfection of his being of love in his holiness. And then out of that only can we receive the mercy of God 
because only then are we truly going to repent and see that we are undone and see the rebellion in our heart and the unthankfulness and cry out to God to deliver us from ourselves and to have mercy on us and to forgive us. And of course, there's a lot more in the mercy of God. It is a love so great that always was in the being of God from the infinite past and is and, and became a reality in this time and space realm, that God's love would be so great that he, as the creator of this vast universe, let alone humble himself to behold the things that are on the earth, would come down into this earth and suffer more than you, a mere creature, and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and would have died if you were the only human being that exists. That's how much he loved you so that you could choose to repent and be saved. How can you reject such love for you? To reject such love leaves nothing but a destiny with no love, which is eternal torment that goes on forever and ever. And the genuine fear of God involves the breaking of the hardness of the heart. Now, it says here that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And the reason they're not believing is they're in this state where their spirit is worshiping their self-consciousness, which is their soul. Yes, it doesn't. The soul is your self-consciousness. And it is your will and mind, emotion and will. I know they teach that in theology, but it's a lot more than that. It's the very consciousness of your being, the, the center of your choice, and so on. And your spirit is in a state of self-worship, like a hardened shell. You're your own God. You're totally blind to see anything. So what does it take? It takes the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, to shine onto them. And that happens through someone being willing to stand in the gap to reach them so that that light can break through even as Christ stood in the gap for us on the cross and took judgment upon him for us. We, in a far more limited measure, get to love God and to love, and out of that love, be impelled to love others and bring that light to them. But first, that light must be in us as a bright light that shines. And so we continue to read this here. And I'm going to unpack this a lot more. And if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And I, I, I already read that, pardon me. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. Again, we see their motive is totally pure. They're transparent. They don't have an impure motive. Their motive is to choose the highest lasting good for the glory of God and for those before them. They have a pure motive of love, nothing for their own interests. This is what's allowing the light to shine through them is because their heart is pure before God. Blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. And when you see with your heart the glory of God, because you've repented of your sin and asked him to cleanse you, and you are resolved not to sin, but to live a life that is pure and holy, 
you also can be a reflector of that glory to others. It says here, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Oh, is there a lot in that statement. The light God commanded to shine out of darkness. What is this saying? What is the source of light? The source of light in heaven is the love of God. It is what causes everything in heaven. I know that. I've written a book, which you can get on Amazon. It's just been up there of recent, called Afterlife. Incredible, irrefutable. It's 367 pages in print. Get it in Kindle. It's a lot more. You've got a lot of links in it, a lot of references. But it is very clear there from many people that have entered heaven that are genuine Christians and have described heaven in detail that what causes the incredibly bright and beautiful light in many, many colors, so bright it's brighter than the atomic bomb, or hydrogen bomb going off on, on the earth, by the way. Of course, with them and their new, altered, real, permanent body, they don't have any problem with that. And they experience things very physically in their body too. And heaven, they can eat fruit and feel the juice going down their cheeks. They can feel the, they want to run. They can feel the ground under them as they're running and everything far more than you can in your physical body and yet transport themselves instantly anywhere they want by thought and so on. And I won't go into all of that. That's sidetracking. But right here, what I'm talking about is that they say it is an incredibly powerful, intense love that is causing the light from God, that is causing everything to be filled with light, and there's no shade there. And with beautiful, bright colors that are, one described it, that went to heaven, Betty Cohen, as being like bright cartoon characters, uh, just very bright, beautiful lights, many colors that don't exist in the world. But that's what's causing the light and the intelligence that comes from the plants as they communicate with you, the animals as they communicate with you, even the furniture that can communicate with you. Yes. And so, the light is from love. And love is what overcomes darkness. It overcomes corruption because it is integrous to judge corruption. It will not tolerate corruption. But what is amazing is that this love of God is so great that he would take judgment upon himself and suffer more for, than you, a mere creature, and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, so that you could become part of his corporate bride, and be married to him in a love relationship that is beyond comprehension and fulfillment. Oh, people seek sexual pleasure. That's nothing compared to the pleasure of you're going to experience in heaven in a love relationship with God. It's not physical there. Of course, it's far superior. They don't have sex in heaven. No one has sexual organs in heaven, not the angels, not the people that are saved from this planet Earth. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts because we opened up our hearts when we heard the gospel or we came to the end of realizing how empty our life is until we cried out and said, is there a God if we never heard of the gospel? Many have come 
to the saving knowledge of Christ that never had the gospel preached to them, people, even savage tribes. It's in my book. I've, I write and give some specific examples of tribes that never heard of the gospel for centuries and centuries and centuries, going back to the very beginning of time. And then they have prophets that prophesy that there's going to be a man that's going to come with the book of God and tell them. Oh, I could tell you, and I could talk for hours here about the the account in India of, of the tribe, a headhunting tribe, that said, the, one of their prophets said, oh, the man with the lost book of God has come, and we're to saddle a donkey, and he it will lead us to him. And they went 200 miles through rugged jungle, following a donkey, not knowing the donkey goes to a well in a little city or town or whatever. And they, and a man with white skin, the first man, they, they prophesied it would be a man with white skin too, comes out of the well. And they said, do you have the lost, do you, do you have the lost book of God? And he says, yes, true story. You can look it up. It's in my book in detail. It's on the internet too. Hard to find though. Now, I want to share with you a little bit more about this. It says, is shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. The light is coming out of an experiential knowing of God. And the experiential knowing of fellowship with God is coming out of the glory of God. It is out of being in the presence of God for the glory of God is the presence of God. The presence of God contains the glory of God. I shouldn't say it is the presence of God. I should say the glory of God is the manifestation of the presence of God that is very heavy. The word glory means heavy in the sense that it is heavy with prosperity, with wealth. It's like a precious metal that is more valuable than gold that someone found in outer space that weighs a thousand times more than gold and is more valuable than gold, okay? Let's put it that way as an example, where you don't want to do anything but just reciprocating great reverence, this presence you are before because it is the very source of love, of light, of beauty, of life, of goodness. It is the destroyer of all corruption. It is the very... Ex reason that all things exist and the purpose for which all things came into being. Of course, those beings with free will create their own creations that are destructive. So they are not, so they can only blame themselves if they end up in hell. I don't have time to talk on that. But this glory of God comes by prayer by reciprocating God, by spending time waiting on God. The word wait has the symbol of open hands in the original Hebrew as one of the first letters, collecting the presence of God through spending time until those hands are filled up with the raindrops of God's presence. And it also has the meaning weight on God of a rope being twined together where it takes time to twine it until there's a strength there. There's a strong identity in your relationship with God and knowing of his presence in your life.
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The face of Jesus Christ is what we seek to behold with the eye of our heart. We seek to behold his glorious face in prayer. Not visibly. It's the eye of our heart that needs to open. It says, whenever the heart shall turn to Yahweh, the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. In 2 Corinthians 3, the last part in the original Greek. That's literally what it's saying. But many have a veil in religious routine, which is what is the context there in 2 Corinthians 3. The Jews continually doing their route of memorizing the scripture and meditating on it as described in Isaiah 28 until they fall backwards in contrast with the child that sucks from its mother's breast in Isaiah 28 in also taking in the word of God, but out of a heart of simplicity, purity, and humility because until we are converted as little children, we will not take in God. We are filled with our own pride and self-righteousness. But when we begin to know a love relationship with God through learning to be still and know he is God, to not be presumptuous, to be in awe of him and to just draw near to him and praise him and worship him and sense when God is wanting us to express our love to him and speak it out and sing and so on. And we have time with God and we wait on him. We renew our strength. And his glory fills our being and it begins to shine out of our whole face with a radiation so that even if you are natural in your composure to be a sour face, your face shines with a light all the more of the glory of God. I know the early church fathers described the Apostle Paul as very sober and serious looking, but when you talked to him, his face lit up like a bright light. Because the glory of God was shining through him and it would touch the lives of others. And God is calling the church today to rise up and to shine. As it says in Isaiah 60, in the last days, that gross darkness would cover the earth. And that's what's happening right now. There's terrible things, and I don't have time to go into explaining all the terrible things that are happening. You all know about it. It is time to rise and shine. It says in that chapter, in context of this darkness, arise and shine for the glory of God has risen upon you that it may bring hope and light. It is the time of harvest. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. It is near, brothers and sisters, and I've written a book to wake up the body of Christ called Godheadship and Body Invasion. It tells you all kinds of things, suggestions mostly, but many things that you can do in your local assembly so that you do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. I'm sharing with you now the most important thing is that you return to the genuine fear of God and that you repent of the loves of the world. Spending hours watching sports instead of prayer means that you don't know the deep, fulfilling, abiding relationship with God because those things are quenching your thirst for God. 
When your priorities and your emotions and everything are focused on those things in such a large measure of time and energy, you are in love with the world. You haven't known something of a more fulfilling life that would make you look at those things like they're shallow and wonder why you ever could possibly have been attracted to them once you enter into that deeper walk with God. You'll never want those things. They're boring. They're shallow. They're empty. And they leave you empty. God is calling you to a far higher, more nobler place in union with him. And he's calling the church in this hour to wake up and to repent of pride and hardness of heart and presumption and trusting in your own righteousness and having a denominative mindset that will only receive people that you feel fit into the mold of your church. Christ calls us to receive one another as he received us and to repent of a hardened denominative mindset, to begin to fervently love one another as the word commands us to, to come into that unity to fulfill John 17 in these last days. That is when the glory of God will come in our midst and we'll see the greater works. When his house of prayer is restored and his house of holiness corporately and individually in our own temple. God is calling his people to a holy walk, not because a holy walk is some religious empty walk of outward manifestation, but because it is a walk of wholeness that comes out of a heart that loves purity because in that purity there's humility and in that humility there is intimacy. Because in that purity, there is transparency, for it is only when we are honest that we are brought to the place of humility. And it is only when we come to the place of humility that we can come to the place of honesty and transparency before God in his holy presence out of the genuine fear of God, to reciprocate him and to perceive that he is ultimately trustworthy and to delight in that relationship with him that will cause us to walk out of trust in him because we are not wrongly presumptuous before him to not perceive him in such a way that we trust him in everything in our lives. So thank you for listening to this message. And may God bless you all. Continue to pray for me. I am in a lot of financial debt right now because of circumstances beyond my control. There is, there is certain people that should have given me my inheritance which is $93,000 and they haven't. And I can't do anything about that. And so I'm just trusting God that this book that I have on the internet, when I begin to sell it, will start to really take off or some other supernatural miracle will happen because I don't want to be distracted by this. I want to get on with the work that God's called. So thank you for listening to this message and support me by purchasing those books or whatever you want to do on my website at loverealize.com. Although I don't have a nonprofit organization and would only get that if God tells me to do such a thing. Thank you. God bless you all.